Would you pray with me as we begin? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is our salvation, and that he has already paid for our sins on the cross, and that as we approach you, we're asking you to make real in our lives what you've already done. Lord, you see us different than we see ourselves. Help us to come to see just how much you love us and how much you desire for us to be like you. Transform us, not only through the renewing of our minds, but through the renewing of our purpose and will. Lord, I pray that you will lead us in this time. Reveal yourself in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're in the fourth week of an eight-week series called Healing Choices. It's a companion to Life's Healing Choices that we're teaching on Wednesday nights. So before we move forward, I want to go backwards a little bit and maybe review where we've been so far. And uh, we can sum up where we've been in basically three words. I can't. God can. Let him. I can. God, I can't. No, I can't. I can't. God can. Let's let him. Week one was I can't. The reality choice, we called it. Uh, that's uh, where we said, I realize that I am not God. Boy, there's a hard one. I am not God. I'm not in control. I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and my life is unmanageable. Without God, for sure. Week two, we had the hope choice. I earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me change. So I can't. God can. And then week three, we had let him. I consciously choose to commit all of my life and will to Christ's care and control. That's what we talked about last week. We often say, let go and let God, don't we? That's what we mean here. We, we let go of the control part, and we let God take over and lead us in our life. So how do we do that? How do, how do we let God do that in our lives? Well, that takes us to the fourth thing today, and this is where we are today, the housekeeping or the house cleaning choice. It's probably the toughest in some ways. I think of it as taking out the trash, taking out the trash. We have to clean the house sometimes, don't we? We have to make it neat and tidy. We talked just a touch about that in Sunday school. Was there in the Bible for Life this morning? You know, that, that we need to keep things clean. But sometimes we have a compulsion to do that. Before we get into all this this morning, um, Let's be honest with each other here. Every one of us has failed. Every single one of us has failed. We've all blown it sometimes. We've all sinned at some point. Nobody is perfect. Nobody. Now, my dad used to say, God only made so many perfect heads, and on the rest he put hair. <laughs> Other than that, nobody's perfect. Romans 3.23 says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. 
all of us. Fourth choice, this housekeeping choice is, I openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. Why do we do that? Well, because freedom is impossible without honesty. And uh, we have to start honesty with ourselves, don't we? We have to start at home, in here. Bible says in John 8, 32, when you know the truth, it will set you free. Truth is both the source of our freedom, but it's also the cost of our freedom. We have to be truthful in order to attain that freedom in Christ. But the reward of that truth is freedom. Freedom is the reward of honesty. If we want to be free from all that stuff that we're carrying around in our lives, it begins with being honest with ourselves and with God and with the people around us. Today is the perfect time to be doing self-examination. We're doing communion this morning, the Lord's table. And, you know, the Apostle Paul, he says, examine yourselves when you're coming to take the cup and when you're coming to take the bread. And so we're going to do a little self-examination today as we go along. Now, I don't know about you, but, man, I, I want to live free of the stuff that holds me back. I want to be free of it. I, I want to live free from guilt. I want to have a clear conscience every day in my relationships with other people. I mean, doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that feel like it, it would be really good to be in that state, in that place? But it might require getting rid of a few things in our lives. As we get into this, try to remember that it's not about dredging up a painful past. It's about taking out the trash. That should help us. Uh, do you know Shel Silverstein? Did you learn Shel Silverstein's uh, poems when you were kids, his stories when you are younger, or teach them to your kids? Uh, my favorite is the one that starts, Sarah Cynthia Sylvia Stout would not take the garbage out. She'd scour the pots and scrape the pans, candy the yams and spice the hams, and though her daddy would scream and shout, she simply would not take the garbage out. And if you know this story, you know that, that over time, something happens. The garbage begins to overflow the can, and then it fills the room, and then it fills the space down the hallway, and it gets so high that it breaks the walls, and then it destroys the house, and it piles so high that it goes all the way up and touches the sky, and her friends will not come over and play because of all the garbage that's collected. And eventually it spreads across the state and the entire planet, and it says at the end, she came to a bad end. But I can't tell you about that because it's too late, he says at the end of the story. Well, that's hyperbola. That's gross exaggeration to try and make a point. But when we don't take the trash out in our lives, it begins to pile up. And it begins to stink, doesn't it? And that pile grows. And you know that little pile that we swept underneath the carpet to try to ignore, to kind of get out of our lives? It forms a lump that eventually we trip over. Consider it trash day today. Consider it time to take out the trash. It is very hard to confront sin in our own lives, isn't it? We usually get forced to confront those sins 
because others will confront us. You know, it usually we don't get to it before somebody else does. They can see it long before we're able to see it ourselves. And self-examination is a bit scary. But we need to fully understand something. We need to understand when we're doing this kind of heavy self-examination, we need to understand just how much God loves us. If I really understand the depth of God's love, then there won't be anything for me to be afraid of in this. Because pure love drives out fear. Okay, so back to the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. We're in the fourth choice, but it's the sixth Beatitudes. You may have noticed that we're doing these a little bit out of order in terms of the Beatitudes. But this is the one that says, happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Will you say that with me this morning? Happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That's the first thing I want you to notice, that it doesn't say. It doesn't say, happy are the religious in heart. It says, happy are the pure in heart. You know, some of the most unhappy people I've met over the years are, are very, very religious in heart. Their whole life is set up as a bunch of rules. All those rules also are don'ts, you know? All the things they don't do. Just don't, 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 or no, no, no. They want you to think that that's what Christian life is all about. But that is not what it's all about. The Christian life is not about the don'ts. Uh, you know, a favorite comedian of mine used to say, if you spend your time doing the do's, you won't have time to do the don'ts. You know, it's about a positive moving towards Jesus. It doesn't mean that there aren't negatives. It doesn't mean there aren't things we need to repent of. There certainly are. But the focus in Christ is on Christ. It's on Jesus and he's the most positive thing in the world, the most positive person in the world. Jesus said, I have come in order that you might have life. Just a little bit of life? Nah, -uh. life in all its fullness. Now, he didn't come so that you could have religion. He came so that you could have life. And you'll say to yourself, okay, Christianity is a religion? Yes, but there's a difference between having religion and religiousness. Just like there's a difference between being righteous and being self-righteous. Those things are miles apart from each other, right? Jesus doesn't want me to be religious. He wants me to be real. He wants me to be real. He wants me to be who he made me to be. Happy are the pure in heart, not happy are the religious in heart. John 11 talks about that time when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And, and it's such a cool story. And there's a truth here we need to discover. Uh, and just remember that, that the Bible doesn't just tell us what God did. The Bible also tells us how God did it. And, and that's kind of important. So you may, may remember the rising of Lazarus. Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, they were friends of, of Jesus. And tragically, Lazarus dies. 
And Jesus comes to the tomb and he stands before the tomb and he says this. Listen to what he says. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out with his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Think about those things that bind you up. Those things that keep you from moving. Lazarus was raised, but he was still all bound up, and Jesus ordered him set free from his grave clothes. Jesus has the power to set you and me free from our grave clothes. Those things that bind us. None of those things that hold us back in life are beyond the power of Jesus Christ and his life-giving nature. Nothing is more powerful. When you gave your life to Christ, the Bible says he brought you from death into life, just like Lazarus. But there are still things in your life that wrap you up a little bit, that keep you from the fullest measure of life. And Jesus said, I came to give you fullness of life. But there are those things that trip us when we try to find you, follow Jesus. Those old ways of thinking, those old behavior patterns, those addictions, uh, and, and, and all of that, and even the small stuff. These things trip us up along the way. There's those masks that we put on when we try to hide because we don't want people to see the real us. Because if they saw the real us, they wouldn't like us. You know, there's that feeling, right? Jesus says, I want to set you free from that. Notice in, in Lazarus' story, Jesus doesn't say, loose him and then wrap him up with some other stuff. He just says, loose him. Let him go. Jesus says, I want to set you free. The Bible says in Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's not to bind us or restrict us. John 8.36, it says, if the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. He says here, happy are the pure in heart, not the religious in heart. Well, how can I have a pure heart? How can I get that pure heart that Jesus wants me to have? I think it's important to understand that, that you cannot make your own heart pure. You can't do it. It's impossible. Good behavior won't do it. It doesn't purify your heart. You can't say, well, I'm going to clean up my act and behave myself, and then I'll have a pure heart. Doesn't work that way. Good behavior does not purify the heart. But a pure heart will change your behavior. You see the difference? Repentance is not what you do to earn forgiveness. Repentance is what you do because your forgiveness has already been paid for. We repent to receive. Romans 5.8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He, he didn't wait for us to clean up our act. He did that while we were still sinners. The only way to have a, few, a, a pure heart is to do it through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It was shed on the cross for your sins. Purity of heart is the gift of God's grace. You can't earn it. The only way to get a pure heart is to surrender your life to him. 
give your life to Christ. Let him forgive your sins, purify your heart, give you the pure heart that he intends. You commit your life to Christ, yes. You receive the gift of forgiveness and a pure heart. There's that heart of that new heart of flesh that God has placed in you. And now it's learning how to live with that new heart. Think about how God sees you right now. Having justified you, having forgiven you, having saved you, he, he looks at you as if you have a pure heart already. You might look at yourself and say, well, I, I don't see how that's possible. I mean, how can I have a pure heart? There's all this stuff in my life still. It's all there. It's, I can feel it, even if nobody else can. It's right there below the surface. How is it possible that I could have a pure heart? I want to let you know a dirty secret this morning. I still have stuff in my life that I need to get rid of. I am in no ways perfect or pure. You think you're the only one who struggles with temptation? Are you the only one? You think you're the only one who has to fight it? The only person who doesn't lose their temper? Say things you shouldn't say? Do things you shouldn't do? Think things you shouldn't think? Do you think you're the only person with that struggle? Because that's not true. I got all of those struggles myself. There is not a person in this room who doesn't have to fight temptation or confess sin or repent from time to time. Like we're all in good company. We're all in the same boat. So listen close. Here's something that I really need you to get. The basis for a pure heart is not how good you've been, but how good God is. Amen? Well, I almost got an amen in that. I heard some mumbles. That's, that's kind of close. That's going in the right direction. That's scary stuff here, I know. It's based on God's character. It's based on God's actions, and it's based on God's goodness. It's not based on your goodness. Your good behavior does not purify your heart, but a pure heart will change your behavior. And it's not that God doesn't know who you are. You know? God knows who you are. God sees who you are. He's seen everything you've done. Psalm 139 says, You've looked deep into my heart, Lord, and you know all about me. But we act like he doesn't. <laughs> we act like, oh, I gotta hide this from God. I gotta keep this secret. I gotta hold this back. And yet God knows all, all about us. He knows all about us. And and he promises that if you surrender, he will purify your heart. And maybe you're saying to yourself, well, you know, I've confessed my sins. I've asked forgiveness for them. Isn't that good enough? And I would say, that's great so far. So far. Now, give him the rest of your life. Give him the rest. Then you'll see God in and through your life as he develops the character of Christ in you. It doesn't happen overnight. But I, I remember first coming to Jesus and expecting to wake up that next day and everything was going to be new. Well, there was a lot that was new. But not everything was new. You know, I, I had a professor at, at college. He, he, had, uh, he and his family had, had, were German Jews. They had escaped the Nazis. 
they had walked out over the mountains in Austria, and he had, uh, in the process of this big journey in his family, he had come to know Jesus Christ, and he, he went forward at the altar to be filled and sanctified, and then the very next week, he was working in the barn, helping with the cows, and the cow stepped back and stepped on his foot, and a streak of swearing came out of his mouth, and he was crushed because he expected all that was supposed to be gone. I'm, I'm in Jesus now. Aren't I sanctified? Aren't I purified? Aren't I set apart for God? And his father you know, had to sit him down and explain, you know, it's, all those things are true. But the process of living out that, that life with this new heart that God has given us, that's a lifelong kind of an experience. It takes a while for us to grow into that. And it takes a while for us to be willing to submit ourselves to God to the level where, where he brings us forward through so many of those things. It's a process. And you play, you play a role in that process. And your role is surrender. And your role is to put into practice what you already know. And I heard somebody say one time that if we never heard one more word from the pulpit, if we never heard one more word from a Bible study, if we never heard one or even read one more word from the Bible, you already know more than you can put into practice in your life. Your role is to cooperate with God, to walk with Jesus in the power that he gives you and under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. God looks at you differently than you look at you. God sees you fully developed, pure, and fully what you can be. Like a gardener. Some of you are gardeners, I know you are. Like a gardener, you know, you, you ever buy a rose bush? <laughs> You go in and there's that fancy bag and it's got all these colored roses painted all over the outside and you, you snip the, the little tie and you open it up and spread it out and it's just a stick and a lump of dirt. That's what it is, you know. And a really good gardener, when they put that in the ground, what do they see? They don't see that stick and that lump of dirt. They see flowers. They, they see that bouquet that they're going to make with those flowers when those flowers are fully grown. You know, a gardener has that kind of vision. Otherwise, they wouldn't put that stick in the ground in the first place. And you and I might look at that and go, well, that's just a stick and a lump of dirt. But a really great gardener already sees the beautiful rose. And that's how God looks at you. We look at ourselves and we see the stick and the lump of dirt. God looks at us and he goes, wow, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that amazing? Just see how that person shines. God already sees us with a pure heart. And we cooperate with him in the process of becoming what he has created. And what happens if you fall down? You get back up. And then you fall down again. You get back up. And you fall down again. You get back up, right? <laughs> Isn't that what you're supposed to do? You keep going. And this is where God's people come in. You know, 
sometimes we need people to come alongside us and, and help us to, to see the pitfalls, to see where, we fall, where we're going to fall down, and to help us to keep moving forward and to help us get our feet back on the path. You know, and that's what church is all about. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, let a man examine himself. By the way, that does not say, let a man examine his neighbor. <laughs> that's not what it says. When you honestly examine yourself, the only conclusion you can come to, if you're really being honest, is that you need a Savior. You need a Savior. You can't do it on your own. But God promises forgiveness when you come to him with an open heart. And God isn't asking you to make promises that you can't keep either. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's God's promise. So we don't have to be afraid to bring anything to God, no matter what it is. Our natural tendency is to run from God when we sin, when what we really need to do is run to him and confess and receive forgiveness. Now, as you think about this house-cleaning choice, I want you to remember three things. These are quick. First of all, Remember God's kindness. We have this fear when we, we, we think about being totally, freely open with God. And, and that fear doesn't have to be there. Think about God's kindness. God, Romans 2, 4 says God's kindness leads you to repentance. It's not his anger that draws you in, at least most of you. I know some of you came to Jesus because you needed fire insurance, right? Wanted to make sure we didn't go to hell. But I believe that most people are drawn to God because of who God is and because of his kindness and what he has done for you. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that right? That's God's kindness in action. Second thing I want you to remember this morning is remember God's faithfulness. The Bible says in Philippians 1, 6, I am convinced that God who began this good work in you will carry it out to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. He's working in you. And he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, other people may give up on you. They may walk out the door. But God says, I won't give up on you. I'm not ashamed of you. Remember his kindness. Remember God's faithfulness. And the third thing is remember his promises. God's made some special promises. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's his promise. Don't be afraid. Take courage. God is at work in you. He's already started this process. He decreed a pure heart for you. And he's got you in a process of becoming who you were meant to be fully. You don't have to be afraid. Follow him right into it. Expect the freedom that God has for you. Make this house cleaning choice. Take out the trash. Clean house. Give God the garbage. He'll haul it away. He loves you. 
And there is nothing you can show him that he hasn't already seen and doesn't already know. It also says confess your sins to another person. Now that's a real killer. I hope you have someone in your life that you can do that with, that you can share those deeper things, that you can share your faults with, the, the things that, that throw you off, because you know accountability is pretty helpful in your life, to have someone to hold you accountable, to keep you on the path. I encourage you to think about that. I shared with our men's group on Wednesday night, I'd been reading and listening to the Bible Project, and they had talked about you know, how we see the, the whole idea, uh, what the, today we call Yom Kippur, but this time of atonement in, in Israel, where they would bring these two goats, and they would have them in front of the people, and they would draw lots, and one of them would become the sacrifice for God, and the other one would become the one we call the scapegoat. And the one that was given to God would be sacrificed and become an offering. But the other one, they would take, the priest would come and lay his hands on the head of the goat and he would symbolically transfer the sins of the people, the faults of the people, to this goat. And then they would release it into the wild, into the wilderness, into the dry place. And it, and it symbolically got rid of the sin of the people. But they say that, that we've mistranslated that. We've translated that scapegoat, and it actually is, is word, the word is Azazel. And Azazel is the name of a demon. It's the name, so it says literally in the text, one for God, one for Azazel. Now, this is not a sacrifice to this demon. This is not what this is all about. I want you to think of that goat as the garbage truck. That goat is taking the sins of the people back where they came from, sending it back to Satan, sending it back where it started. Say, no more. No more. So in our lives, there are times where we have to take out the garbage, where we have to send the trash away. And that has to do with coming before God and confessing our sins and admitting to ourselves that they even exist, and then properly putting out the trash and letting God haul it away. There's nothing he likes better than doing that. He just take it away, man. It's gone. It's gone. As far as the east is from the west, as deep as the bottom of the ocean, he takes your sin and he throws it away. Today we're celebrating communion the Lord's Supper. This is the perfect moment. This is the perfect place to confess your sin to God. This is the perfect place to renew your relationship with God, to, to say, Lord, I don't want this in my life anymore. Forgive me for my sins, and now take me forward. Bring me to that fullness that you created me for. Let me be that rose. Let me be the flower that I know that you want me to be. I encourage you to use this moment this morning. We're going to have a, a silent time this morning. We're going to do a little bit longer this morning. Uh, as we come to our, our time where we prepare our hearts, uh, we're going to have a little bit of music played in the background so, softly so that we can just kind of can just sit and sit before God and 
and talk to him. And if you feel like you want to come to the altar rail to do that, you're invited to do that, and, uh, and one of us will pray with you. We're also going to have a time at the end of the service when we do our last song. We've got oil up here on the altar, and uh, so anyone who wants to be anointed for healing, uh, that's at, during that last song, just come on and forward, and we'll be able to do that for you as well. So let's bow our heads in prayer, and again, if you feel the Lord calling you, give him your heart. As you turn your hearts to the Lord, I, I want you to ask God a question. Ask him, what do I still need to be free from? Ask God that question. Would you do it right now? What do I still need to be free from? What, what's blocking my progress in Christian life? You might be saying, I don't even know where to begin. Let me ask you in this time of prayer, have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ. 